Hello and welcome to the June edition of On the Horizon, our monthly podcast dedicated to helping you navigate through the tricking world of golf course turf maintenance by helping you to look and think a little further forward. I'm Henry Bechelet from ICL. And I'm Glenn Kirby from Syngenta. And it's June, Henry. It is. And to mark the beginning of true agronomic summer, I've written another poem. Uh, well done, Glenn. More of the same. Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. Okay, you ready? <laughs> yeah. In the Shetland Isles, the sun won't rest. Golf courses bask. We're truly blessed. Temperatures rise, the frosts withdraw. At last, the temperatures we all long for. Heat and drought may bring challenges and stress. Excess growth in June can make a mess. Embrace the warmth as solstice draws near. Agronomically, June's the finest time of year. Always a joy, Glenn. Uh, so how many more do we have left of this? Just nine left now, Henry, and then my book of poetry will be complete, <laughs> placing me in the Agronomist Poets mm. Hall of Fame. It's going to be a monumental achievement when mm. I get there. But I've also got some other news, Henry. News on our award. Whoa, it's all happening this month, isn't it, Glenn? Is it good news? You're just going to have to wait and see, Henry. Oh, Okay, Glenn, so let's start, as usual, with the weather data for June. And because this is the time when we move into true summer, I'm assuming, at last, that you will have some positive news for us, rather than the usual doom and gloom. Hmm, might put that on my business card, Henry. I quite like it. Glenn Kirby, harbinger of doom and gloom. <laughs> Got a nice ring to it. It does. Or maybe just Glenn Kirby, HDG. Anyway, where are you taking us this month, uh, you know, to get a feel for the weather uh, across the UK and Ireland in June? OK, this month, as June gives us the longest day of the year, I thought we should visit some summer solstice ah, venues. How exciting. So I presume that you are a druid then and have the full regalia? No, no, I'm not. But I did look up what to wear at the summer solstice at Stonehenge on the English Heritage website. Oh, great. White robes, pointy hat and sandals, I presume? No, not quite. Um, so this is what it said, and I quote, make sure you wear and bring with you warm clothing, mm. as even in June, the weather at Stonehenge can be very cold and damp. Oh. A small umbrella may be a good idea, Although, do be aware, large umbrellas are not permitted. Well, that's to keep the golfers out, isn't it? Do you know you really are HDG, aren't you? Indeed. So we're going to visit Stonehenge at Salisbury, mm -hmm. the bunch of rocks that I drive past when going west and my point of reference when explaining to Americans where I live. Yes, and of course the scene of the legendary rock festival in the 1970s. Indeed. Uh, we are also going to Newgrange in Ireland, which is a prehistoric monument in County Meath, about 50 miles north and slightly east of Dublin. Mm -hmm. It's an exceptionally grand passage tomb built in the Neolithic period, around 3200 BC, mm. making it older than Stonehenge and the Egyptian pyramids. Mm, well, that sounds good, Glenn. Indeed. And then we're also going to go to Brin Kelly Doo up in Wales, <laughs> Anglesey. 
very top west of Wales. And don't laugh at my pronunciation. I checked it with my Welsh <laughs> wife and she said I was correct. Um, that is one of the most famous Neolithic monuments in Wales, Henry. It's an amazing mm. tomb mm. with its opening a line so the sun shines directly into the inner chamber just once a year mm. at dawn on the summer solstice. Ooh, that's spooky. And a bit Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're going to our furthest point north, the Shetland Isles, where there are three golf courses, I think, and where the sun barely sets at all in the midsummer. So mm. in the Shetland Isles, midsummer, we see about 19 hours of full sunlight and nearly five hours of twilight mm. there. Compared mm. to the south of the country, where we only get about 16 and a half hours of full light on the longest day, with about three and a half hours of twilight. So some historic sites this month, Glenn, uh, where our ancestors were probably looking towards their own horizons, uh, but to worship rather than to make forward-looking agronomic plans. I'm not sure that was on their agenda. Okay, so let's stick to our home turf and start with the moisture situation. And here we are looking to compare the total gains for the month, uh, the rainfall, with the moisture loss through evaporation and transpiration, the ET, uh, to give us a net total for the month, which would then factor into our own site characteristics. Indeed. So let's go driest to wettest to start with. Mm. And we're looking here at the last 12 years of data. Mm. So Stonehenge in Salisbury in the south of England, an average year for them in June, they are 70 millimetres drier at the end of the month than they are at the beginning. In a wet year for them, they are 28 millimetres wetter, which is probably more than I was expecting, if I'm honest. Mm. And in their driest years, they are 132 millimetres drier. Whoa. Okay, so a real possibility for courses down south to dry out, but it's certainly not guaranteed, even in the south, uh, because wet weather can still commonly occur even there in June. Uh, hence the recommendation to take your umbrella to the Henge and, of course, wear waterproof robes and pointy hats. Indeed. So next is New Grange in Ireland. An average year for them is 43 millimetres drier at the end of June than they are at the beginning of the month. A wet year over there in Ireland is 74 millimetres wetter, which again is more mm. than I expected. And in their dry years, they are 94 millimetres drier, Henry. Okay, so a bit of caution is needed here because although it can be dry, it can be very wet too. Indeed. And the next on our list is the Shetland Isles, the northernmost point in Scotland. And did you know that the Shetland Isles became part of Scotland on February the 20th? 1472, when they were pawned by the King of Denmark, Norway and Sweden to James III of Scotland. No, I didn't know that. Thank you, Glenn. Well, you do now. Well, an average year for them is six millimetres drier at the end of June than at the beginning. In a wet year, they are 53 millimetres wetter, which is about what I was expecting for them. And in their driest years, they are about 50 millimetres drier. Mm. Okay, so in their driest years, they only lose 
one third of the moisture lost in the driest years down in the south of England, which is really interesting. Yep, the wettest, as always, though, is Wales. Uh, an average year for them, they are four millimetres drier at the end of June than at the beginning. And in a wet year, they are 124 millimetres wetter, oh which, again, is a lot more than I was expecting, even for Wales. And in their dry years, they are 86 millimetres drier. No way. So on average, this part of North Wales might be break even in June, but actually it looks like they could be all over the place. And so, once again, Wales is showing huge variables uh, and never really seeming to settle down. And uh, sort of similar to Ireland, I think, in that regard. But in Salisbury and in the Shetland Isles, it looks like they are more consistent in June. Yes, potentially still serious possibilities of being wet in Wales and Ireland, and also the potential, along with south of England, to be seriously dry, with the Shetland Isles probably, as you say, the most consistent place to be. So whilst the Shetland Isles might not see the extremes, uh, my money is certainly on it not being blessed with uh, decent temperatures either. I presume that it is relatively cold up there in June? Well, let's have a look at the overnight temperatures. Uh, overnight in the Shetland Isles, they are averaging eight degrees with the mm. coldest they've seen in recent years being just under four degrees. Oh, so not really cold, but still sort of being less than ideal for growth and maybe sort of borderline conditions at times, like we were describing for May elsewhere. But it feels like even in the extreme north, um, they will have unlocked consistent growth by now. Yes, June is when the handbrake comes off consistently for everyone. Mm. Okay, so if we go over to Ireland, they see an average of 8.6 degrees overnight with the coldest temperatures down to one degree, but that's mm. pretty unusual for them to hit that. Okay. If we go up to Anglesey, we see average temperatures of 9.7 overnight, which is the mildest out of this lot, mm. with a minimum of four degrees they've seen in June in recent years. And in Salisbury, we see an overnight average of nine degrees with a coldest of 1.5. Mm. OK, so we, we can still see occasional frosts at the beginning of June, particularly in I suppose, cold microclimates or in sort of low-lying pockets on golf courses. But in the main, we're experiencing consistent growing conditions with fairly decent overnight temperatures. Okay, so what about the highest temperatures? How warm can we get in June? We've, we've already seen that there is the potential for it to be seriously dry. So do we see any heat stress arrive in June to compare pound um, that drought stress that might have built. Okay, so average high temperatures are uh, Shetland, 13 degrees, Anglesey, 17 degrees, Newgrange, 17.5, and Salisbury, 20.5. Okay, so those, those averages are pretty decent everywhere, except the extreme north, obviously. What about the extreme highs, though? What June high temperatures or highest temperatures have we reached in recent years? Well, the Shetland Isles have maxed out at 19.5 degrees, but everyone else is sneaking up to 30 degrees as a mm. June maximum. Uh, Salisbury is the only place to have snuck over that number, just scraping over 30 degrees. OK, so we are now into summer, hopefully, and are 
feeling some heat on our backs, all being well, and growth has properly kicked in. So how do our Primo Max application intervals look around the country in June? You know, we have a range of locations this month, you know, extending quite far north. And so I'm interested to know, you know, what frequencies we should be applying our favourite plant growth regulator to get the best out of it. Of course. Now, we tend to use growth degree days here to help us guide us towards the best intervals for our plant growth regulator applications, Mm. as the breakdown or the longevity of the product will be heavily influenced by the temperature. Mm. The warmer it is, the shorter a period that product will last. Now, June isn't the hottest month, but it is when we start to settle out and be consistent at last. Now, Mm. over the last 12 years... Salisbury, they've averaged around 13-day intervals in the month of June. Anglesey and New Grange have averaged 15 days as their normal intervals. And the Shetland Isles have averaged at 19 days. Mm, so a bit of variation there. Mm. But, but how much does that vary uh, between a warm and a cold June then? Okay, a cold June, uh, if we got a really cold year, that would push Salisbury to 14 days. Mm-hmm. Anglesey would be stretched out to 16 days. New Grange would stretch out to 17 days. And the Shetland Isles would stretch out to 23 days as our recommended Primo Max interval gap. Okay. Now... If we had a warm June, we would obviously see it swing the other way. So a really warm June for Salisbury would be a 12-day interval. Anglesey and New Grange would be a 13-day interval. And the Shetland Isles would be an 18-day interval. Mm. And I think this is where people start chasing the numbers with GDD a little bit too much. Once we've moved into this settled weather... Just try and lock your spray windows in at around 14 days because that will work for most people. Mm. You know, in the far, far, far north, you may want to move that closer to 21 days. But for most, it's now 14-day intervals, which will work with a regular spray program. And that will help you get the best out of your PGR programs until about mid-September, which is when the temperature starts to become a bit more unreliable again. Okay, but that's for the greens, isn't it? What about um, if we are using Primo Max across the wider course? Okay, so the longer the turf is, the more the Primo is taken up. And there's some interesting data from the States looking at this that we should take some time to study someday. But what the kind of general point it makes is on higher heights of cut, we get longer control out of our products. Mm. Realistically, though, I think for the wider areas, kind of fairways, roughs, things like that, Intervals are going to be driven by your budget rather than an actual GDD program. But if you can aim at a 21-day interval in these really high growth periods, that's going to give you enough control to get you through until that drought starts to regulate that turf for you. Okay, well, that's clear. Very clear, actually. So to summarise the weather, June actually might not be quite what we think it's going to be or are hoping for. Heat stress is potentially in the game and there is a real possibility for significant drying out along with extended periods of intense sunlight, you know, that we we might expect during the summer to bring some combined stresses. But it But it also might be that we get wet conditions uh, with the grass growing like crazy. 
It does feel like things have moved on from May, but not necessarily into idyllic conditions yet. Indeed. Well, and that begs the question, I think, Glenn, what do the golfers expect us to deliver in June? It's a good question. Okay, so we are properly into the season now, Glenn, and we know that golfer expectations will be high or very high at this time, which is okay because this is probably the best time to present a golf course too. So from your experience as a course manager, uh, Glenn, what makes June such a um, golden time for greenkeeping? Well, June is a time when everything finally comes together on the golf course. Those divots are recovering, seed is germinating, the seed heads on greens have in the main passed, mm. the weather conditions are generally more favourable and the courses tend to be in peak condition. So golfers at this time of year will probably get lush green fairways, particularly with 2023's wet spring that we've experienced. Mm. They'll tend to see well-maintained greens because we've reached that consistent and decent growth. Greens should be strong because those stresses haven't really started to mm. mount up yet. Mm. And those greens aren't yet tired. We haven't beaten them up yet unless mm. we've pushed them crazy hard in the spring to try and get some surfaces through that very difficult period. Mm. So all in all, this should make for a very enjoyable playing experience. And, and we haven't yet moved into those serious stress conditions, which can start to sneak in later on in the month. Yeah, but, but in some years we can see drought conditions develop in early June, can't we? But such problematic dry conditions around that time have generally originated from dry conditions earlier on in the year through sort of March, April and May. And I suspect that after such a mixed spring uh, this year that we're not in that territory, are we? No, I don't think we are this year. Okay. Generally, though, after such a wet spring like we've just experienced, dry conditions in June generally make for a good June, don't they? Well, for golf anyway, but we do need to be aware that a dry June might be the beginnings of a difficult July if hot and dry weather continues on. And that can present problems, can't it? Um, most people will have enough irrigation water to get them through a dry June, but uh, the budgeting of limited water resources can be a pause for thought this early on in the season, you know, especially if we're looking sort of, you know, deep into the summer. But, you know, we've got to remember that above all, uh, it's most important that we take good plant health into July and August because that is the time when the pressures can really start to accumulate and um, we really need to be in good shape and prepared for that. Yep, but this year with a wetter spring, which was a frustration at times, um, I suspect we're going to go into June with a fairly reasonable soil moisture level, meaning the onset of that drying out could well be delayed. Mm. That, that's, of course, unless we see a really extreme May. Mm. So this year, June should be a happy time for greenkeepers then. Conditions are looking like they're going to be in our favour, hopefully, and the course should be coming together and both looking 
and playing at its best. And we can all hopefully look forward to some positive feedback from the golfers. But knowing them as we do, Glenn, mm. what are some of the, uh, shall we say, challenges that they might throw at greenkeepers in June? Well, managing golfer expectations is always a challenge. And although we're probably now close to our best, we still won't be able to compete with the major golf tournaments, things like the US Open or even that high budget venue down the road. Mm. Golfers will be inspired at this time of year to get out and emulate their favourite champions. And they may well mm. be also arranging some summer golf breaks and comparing you to high-end venues that they visited on holidays. And, it, you know, it's at that time where we all chuck our clubs in the boot and we disappear off to our golfing venue for a few days away. And at least mm. that's what I'm doing this year. So you will be compared to those venues they're visiting. So it's, mm. you know, it's kind of essential for greenkeepers just to make the most of these conditions they have. And in June, that's odds-on favourite to be the best time of year. So mm. we can start to produce some pretty decent playing conditions whilst managing those heightened expectations. Yeah, it is essential at this time that we do try to remain focused on our own venue and delivering our own targets and to sort of try not to get too knocked off balance by some possibly emotive or uh, comments from out of left field. Yeah, let's just hope those golfers also remember some good practice, some good golf course etiquette, um, pairing divots, ball marks, all that kind of thing. It all goes a long way to helping to maintain the course's condition to everyone to enjoy. Mm, yeah, we remain hopeful about that, but also... You know, um, we must view damage repair as our responsibility as, as, as well, of course. But as you say, uh, June should be a great time to deliver fantastic playing conditions, beautiful course presentation, and it will hopefully quite simply be a time to uh, enjoy being out there. Indeed, and make the most of it. Make sure you take a break because July is just around the corner, isn't it? And, and that's when those stresses can really begin to compound. Yeah, they certainly can. So, Henry... What are we thinking agronomically in June? Well, there is always plenty to think about agronomically. And with there being the potential for horrendous levels of growth, maybe, if it's a wet uh, June, it could be a chaotic time. And so we need to have that clear focus on our key priorities, which of course starts with meeting our play and quality targets for the Greens as well as presenting the wider course, of course. And so monitoring is needed to help uh, keep us firmly on that track. And as previously discussed, I think that the key area of focus for the Greens at this time should still be on surface smoothness. Because agronomically, you think that a focus on smoothness will help to keep you out of trouble. I do. Because a singular focus on endless green speed usually leads us down a path of lower cutting heights and increasing management intensity. Yep. Increasing management intensity makes things really difficult agronomically because mm. it just puts us on a knife edge of stress and disease. Yeah. I mean, you can do what you like as far as I'm concerned, but... Um, 
that way is a really tough one to navigate, isn't it? Especially if the external stresses that we can experience at this time of year begin to mount up. They might just send you over the edge. I think, as an agronomist, it's good to have a strategy that gives you a bit of agronomic breathing space, you know, to keep you out of that serious trouble. But focusing on surface smoothness will still help you hit your speed targets, but it's just a different mindset. It just allows you to approach this in a different and less agronomically risky way. Yeah, look, and it's as simple as looking at the roll of a ball or how smoothly it is running when taking your stint meter reading to help you decide what it is that you need to do to make that roll smoother. And you advocate scoring it using the STRI scoring scale, don't you? Yes, I do, because it allows you to track your progress and build a record of your scores, which will help you to understand what works or what doesn't. And it will make you think about those influencing factors such as you know nutrition or the use of primo max or light top dressings mowing frequencies or double cutting things like rolling turf ironing that kind of thing you know and and that whole process will you know help you to set the right balance won't it at any given time if you score the roles and are keeping a record of your results it will help you to learn from them and help you get better at preparing those surfaces you know greenkeeping is always a, a fine balance of many influencing factors but something that helps you tune into that has got to be a good thing yeah but people don't ad- adopt these kind of new trends too readily, do they? <laughs> no. Well, it's hardly new, Glenn, is it? Um, no. But it couldn't be simpler. Essentially, at this time of year, when reviewing the surface smoothness, we're just looking at the proportion of either chatter, where the ball exhibits minor oscillations during the roll, and and periods of complete smoothness where the ball doesn't vibrate and if the ball is chattering throughout the roll then it is a score of six out of ten and if the roll is completely smooth but maybe with a single minor chatter or snaking event then it's an eight and if it is half smooth and half chattering then it's a seven it's really quick and easy and always really interesting you will need to get low down um, so the sort of you know behind the stint meter is the best position to see the roll properly. Um, you know maybe score ten rolls in a couple of locations on each of the greens that you're looking at, and, and just take the average and note that down. But the key or or the point of this exercise is to understand what is causing the chatter and what you need to do to increase the proportion of smoothness. You know, is it brushing before cutting or you know a, a light top dressing or uh, rolling or turf ironing verticutting or grooming to improve the sward texture nutrition or primo max to maintain sward density stress alleviation to prevent that thinning out it might be tweaking the height of cut slightly or improving the quality of cut you know you need you need to just kind of think what needs to be done you know you just turn the dials based on your desire to improve the role of the ball you know through the month of june our job is probably going to be to move the surfaces from a 
uh, a seed head influence score of six, maybe, uh, or six and a half at the start of the month uh, to progress through seven and aim higher towards eight. You know, where smoothness is dominating. But I should say that a seven is a good surface from from the player's perspective, you know, with a putter in your hand. But at this time or through the month, we should probably be targeting hitting seven and a half and eights if we possibly can, where smoothness really dominates. But we should view June as being a transition or a progression rather than feeling like we have to achieve that all at once. Remember, you're turning the dials gently to tune things up, but we want to do it in a sustainable way. Yes, because we are all using those same agronomic Mm. dials. We're not just using the one height of cut dial. Mm. These tools or dials, they all contribute towards producing better surfaces that are easy to manage or easier to manage and not not so on the edge. Absolutely, Glenn. Being an agronomist, it is my job to advocate lower risk strategies uh, to achieve our goals, isn't it? So anyway, there are wider agronomically damaging occurrences that that can also arise at this time that aren't self-inflicted that we need to guard against as well because they can also affect the integrity or the smoothness of the putting surfaces at the time when we are striving to perfect them. Um, I've never scored a 10, by the way. Okay, so so what else are we guarding against as we all become absorbed with the role of a golf ball? <laughs> yeah, well, we shouldn't get too distracted you no. know, because we have diseases and stresses to contend with at this time that that can destroy our surface smoothness. And ultimately, what sneaks up on us will largely depend on which way the weather drops. Yes, and the weather in June was actually a bit of a surprise, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, as always, Glenn. I'm so glad that you take the time to run through it because, you know, each month I prove myself wrong in what I'm expecting. Um, But I was surprised how sort of variable or or how unsettled it can be in June. But the upshot is, is, is that we'll probably have good growing conditions with a likelihood of some moisture in the game, but also maybe some stresses you know hot dry or bright conditions and so with that combination it might well be a time for some disease activity to emerge yes and i remember microdokian patch disease outbreaks being a fairly common thing at this time Mm. but nothing too damaging or long-lived you know with turf growth pretty consistent at this time of year it wasn't anything that i needed to target a fungicide application at to combat it but it was there yeah and we shouldn't really be complacent either because you know damaging attacks can occur but but they are unlikely for microdokian patch at this time watia patch is also fairly common especially down south if moisture is in the game and that one can look quite frightening but it doesn't generally tend to add up to much no uh, damp conditions coupled with those conducive temperatures might well be a recipe for fungal activity in june mightn't it mm, yeah in all its forms and so we mm. need to be on guard 
for that, especially during damp June conditions. And if the maintenance pressure is on the limit in terms of mowing heights, uh, maybe coupled with insufficient nutrition, then that might drive the development of anthracnose, which can be widespread and extremely problematic, as we all know. Yes, we do need to strike a really good balance at this time and not let the pressure build up at what is still quite an early stage in the summer. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of greens nutrition, we tend to be into our liquid programs at this stage and probably delivering around two kilograms of nitrogen per hectare per week on average for those annual meadowgrass dominated parkland settings. And we we just need to be sure that you know that it's set at the right level really that that it's enough so we don't fall into that anthracnose trap and of course those levels might be too high for fine grass dominated heathland or lynx greens where there isn't such a need or desire to push so hard with the cutting heights you just need to do what's necessary really uh, for your own situation and not get sucked into uh, worrying about what other people are doing or what they're saying they're doing that's right we just need to try and keep things somewhere towards the middle agronomically and if we're still thinking about disease activity developing in june then the uh, development of take or patch might be in the game especially but not exclusively for susceptible sites you know newish establishments where bent grass is dominant and particularly where the root zone has a high ph or where the irrigation water is alkaline or contains high levels of calcium carbonate in those those high risk situations, which are actually quite common in Ireland, for instance, then a preventative fungicide policy might be in place. Uh, because if take or patch disease develops, then it can be devastating to putting surfaces or indeed wider turf areas. But of course, we should always be taking a fully integrated approach um, to fully reduce the risk of attack uh, with the use of nutrition to maintain plant health, moisture management, you know, mainly to reduce the level of irrigation if that's an influencing factor. And the use of things like Greenmaster liquid effect iron, which uh, also contains trace elements, including manganese, uh, which also, you know, seems to really help in these situations, all dovetailed with that fungicide programs to hopefully keep a lid on things. Uh, we've got some really nice data from an SGRI trial on take or patch disease uh, from a few years back that really shows the benefits of these non-fungicidal methods that help uh, slow down the development of the disease. So Glenn, what fungicides should we be using in this situation? Okay, so heritage containing the active ingredient azoxystrobin has always been the go-to in this situation and is really effective against take or patch disease when targeted properly. Mm. Zoxystrobin's got root uptake, so it can move upward from the roots through the crown and the root areas that that pathogen kind of infects. So mm. that's how it becomes so effective in there. For Ireland, if the risk is already high and a programmed approach is necessary, then a certainty, whilst not labelled for take all, can have some positive impact if being used around this time for the other on-label diseases that it has. Mm. Um, we got some good data with it on take-all patch from the USA, and it's a very broad-spectrum fungicide. 
But with both fungicides, they're both most effective when targeted preventatively and yes. integrated into wider integrated turf management strategies. Yes, and of course, if the irrigation uh, water quality is a driving factor, then that would need to be dealt with if possible with a dosing system or such like. Okay, so other soil-borne fungi... Um, might be an issue as well in June, uh, such as those that cause the development of fairy rings, uh, which can also be extremely problematic, but this time on drier sites such as lynx and heathland courses. Yes, this can be a particular problem for the lynx settings, can't it, where type 1 rings can result in the loss of grass cover in affected areas, and this damage can last until the end of the season. Uh, that damage can also be quite widespread. And again, integrated approaches involving the use of quality surfactants, targeted irrigation, they all help mitigate any decline. But heritage is labelled for fairy ring and acernity for those in Ireland is a very broad spectrum of fungicide too. So if applied around this time can have a positive impact. And it, all of it can be used to improve or prevent or really limit that fairy ring development. Yeah, all forms of fairy ring actually can be troublesome at times. But generally, we only use fungicides uh, against them when we're facing significant damage because they really are such a, a hard target to hit, aren't they, being so deep-seated? They are, and it's a long-term program, really, um, mm. years of work to try and keep them under control. But if you're going with a fungicide program, the recommendation for hair is two preventative applications targeted in the vulnerable areas with supporting aeration and surfactants and soil targeted water rates. So mm. we're aiming for a thousand litres a hectare, followed by appropriate levels of irrigation to help that active ingredient get to where that fungal activity is. You know, we really want to move that active down into the soil profile and into that zone of fungal activity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of course, there's um, dollar spot isn't there, waiting in the wings at this time, which which is attracting uh, more and more of our attention. And we will chat about that a little bit later on because with Dollar Spot, we also need to employ the use of prediction models uh, to help us gauge the level of risk and direct our um, integrated control strategies. Yes, and we'll get into the Smith-Kearns model prediction for these areas in part two. Mm, yeah, and annual meadowgrass seeding might still be a cause of uh, surface unevenness. Uh, and that is something that we discussed last month with the use of plant growth regulators being a part of our wider integrated approach. We did indeed. Yes, and uh, of course we have already mentioned that uh, wet or damp conditions in June might necessitate the use of Primo Max across the wider course if, if we are experiencing you know, those prolific levels of grass growth that can be extremely problematic, especially on those heavy soil-based parkland grass factory uh, type settings. Yes, this is where the use of Primo Max as a management tool can really come to the fore and help keep the management of the course under control, mm. let alone the cost of not having to mow so frequently. Yeah, Primo has such huge benefits, doesn't it? Especially during times of prolific grass growth, especially if staffing levels are an issue, for instance. And fuel consumption, of course. Yeah, yeah, which is a huge issue these days. And we touched on those GDD-based Primo intervals for greens earlier on, and they can be widened out as we discussed a little on fairways. But I'd suggest getting right on top of that program on wider areas 
years if your budget allows, as that will hold you in a really good position going into the stressier months that are on that horizon. Yeah, and stress management or mitigation can be be really important at this time if we experience heat waves or prolonged periods of dry weather. And which might be an issue in certain areas of the country. And so we need to be thinking carefully about our moisture management strategies. Yes, that's right. Monitoring our soil moisture contents and targeting our irrigation, as well as selecting quality surfactants and using them as part of our fully integrated approach. Yeah, and sort of managing the heat stress and even sort of light mitigation Um you know, might become top of our agenda if conditions really ramp up during those sort of longer days that are starting to occur in June. Yes, that's right. And I'm going to talk about stress management and stress mitigation in part Mm. two, because it can be directly damaging, but it can also be an influencing factor on things like the development of diseases such as anthracnose, dollar spot, and even red thread. Uh, and we'll touch on that later on. Yeah, you know, there's plenty that we can do in this area, isn't there? But we need to be looking onto that horizon because prevention, as always, is better than cure. Indeed. And our horizon might be extending into preventing next year's pest infestations at this time of year as well by controlling the development of young chafer grubs. And we are getting very close to some acelaprin details and we will be talking about our acelaprin label in more depth next month but today we're going to talk a bit about chafer grubs later on yes and of course there's those weeds that might be developing through june uh, becoming more and more stubborn and difficult to control if we allow them to mature too much yes and we spoke about the launch of overtake and how beneficial it was to get on those uh, broadleaf weeds early Mm. and overtake of course is our new selective herb yeah so agronomically June might have might seem to us to be relatively straightforward, but depending on how the weather drops, which could be either way, combined with your individual site characteristics, of course, then there seems to be a whole host of problems that might be in danger of developing uh, that you will need to nip in the bud nice and early before they become damaging and ruin your year. Yeah, we seem to say it every month, Henry, but greenkeeping is not easy it never is glenn okay so there are plenty of things to think about in june and in part two we're going to embark on a whistle stop tour of those main issues just to make sure that we are ready for them we are henry but before we do that glenn it's time for a tea break Oh, it is. Shall I get the kettle on this time, Henry? Yes, why not? I really need a brew after that. So, welcome back to part two of the June edition of On the Horizon, um, where we're going to have a quick run-through of the main issues facing us at the start of summer. Yes, and it is clear that although conditions will likely be in our favour, we still need to be on our guard uh, because the weather can easily conspire against us and cause some serious problems if we're not careful. But first, Henry, let's have a cuppa. What are you on this month? Well, this month at the Ilkley office, we are working our way through a Wittard's gift set. Very nice, Henry. You've been splashing. 
lashing out. <laughs> Always, Glenn, but not in this case. Uh, it was a very kind gift from a greenkeeping colleague. Thank you very much, Richard. And I must say that the mango and bergamot really tickled Ed's fancy this month. Very nice. And, and I've also heard a rumour that you've jumped back into the world of greenkeeping. Well, in a way, Glenn, uh, I have helped to look after a bowling green in the past. And now I have been lucky enough to be conscripted to help out at my local club. Uh, although I'm not sure how helpful my efforts have been so far, but it really is great to be a part of a greenkeeping team again. And this is crown green bowls, isn't it? Rather than yes. flat. You know, the, the green's got a big hump in it. <laughs> yeah, well, this one's got three. I think. But yes, oh. all crown greens are unique and our one is an absolute peach. And so under Richard, Bernie and David, I am volunteering my services to help with the green maintenance. And it is an absolute treat and we are already scoring the smoothness of the roll and focusing on the surface firmness to get the green running properly uh, without having to shave the height of cut down too far well that does sound familiar yes it does and we are already uh, talking about fashioning a ramp to measure the ball roll distance from a standardised delivery oh no Henry you got to practice what you preach, Glenn. Oh, it sounds great, Henry. Are you playing again? Well, I think I'm going to start again, actually, because it's the whole point, really, isn't it? Very good, Henry. Mm. And um, the other development last month was that we did our very first On the Horizon live and uncensored event yes, for Des the Lecturer yes, we and did. all the MVQ students at Suffolk New College. Oh, we did, Glenn, didn't we? And it was great, actually, wasn't it? And many thanks to Robert Ransoms for hosting the event and for looking after us all so well. Yeah, it was really good to meet everyone and, and do whatever it was that we did. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it was a bit random, wasn't it? In the end, I think we told them our life stories as if that <laughs> might... Uh, be inspirational in some way. Oh, it's cringeworthy. Yeah, more cautionary, <laughs> wasn't it? And um, we also got onto our secrets of success, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, which seemed like a bit of a liberty and also <laughs> cautionary, I would say. Uh, I suppose it just depends on how you define success, Glenn. Indeed. And so if you aspire to be an incoherent buffoon, and get in touch we will gladly come along and show you how it's done yes and we're even talking about building in some costume changes next yeah time. you know that would really would do the trick you know to properly properly tell our life stories and our secrets of success you know i think the sky's the limit actually as far as i'm concerned but one of the topics we did stumble upon was that of ai or yes. artificial intelligence and so that yes. got me thinking henry oh did it yes yes i asked chat GPT to write an article okay. on turf diseases in the style of Henry Besham. <laughs> so not an agronomic uh, limerick ode then? No, one of those is enough. Yeah. Um, would you like to hear it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, have you got it? Do you want me to read it? Oh, yeah, why not? Let, let's see if we can tell the difference. Mm, and this is absolutely genuine, is it? Absolutely. Well, I'll send it over. I'm... I'm, I'm Ready and waiting for it. Sent. Okay. Right, here it is. 
Yes. You know, this could be a game changer, Glenn. I'm really hoping so, Henry. I'm hoping I can get to work with a digital you rather than the real one. Yeah, not sure about that. Anyway, okay, where is it? Here it is. So, with the future of turfgrass agronomy, <clears throat> in the style of Henry Beshley, I will read this. Right, where am I? There, there we are. Okay. As I survey the verdant landscape before me, I cannot help but lament the rampant turf disease that plagues many a golf course, park and residential lawn. Alas, the bane of the greenkeeper's existence. It is a foe that must be faced head on with vigour and knowledge. That's one of your more colourful days, Henry. First and foremost, one must be able to identify the enemy. Common culprits include the nefarious dollar spot, whose telltale silver dollar-sized patches on stems and leaves are sure to send shivers down any greenkeeper's spine. The fearsome brown patch is also a formidable opponent, causing unsightly brown patches in the grass and wreaking havoc on the roots. And let us not forget the dreaded Pythium blight, a ruthless pathogen that can decimate entire fields of turf grass in a matter of days. Well, I tell you what, if Dickens wrote turf articles, this is it, Henry. This is definitely one for the order of the auger. <laughs> but fear not, dear reader, for there are weapons in our arsenal to combat these afflictions. Foremost among them is prevention, which involves maintaining optimal growing conditions for the grass and implementing a sound turf management programme. This includes appropriate irrigation, fertilisation and mowing practices, as well as proper aeration, and thatch control. Well, that's all fair enough. Should the disease rear its ugly head, despite our best efforts, targeted fungicide treatments may also be employed. Yeah, I'm not sure about the reactive approach recommended by Digital Henry. <laughs> it is critical to choose the correct fungicide for the specific disease and apply it at the appropriate time and in the correct manner. Careful monitoring of the grass for signs of the disease's spread is also essential. Yeah, I'm very disappointed and surprised it hasn't mentioned my application tip of the month. In the end, this is a battle that requires both knowledge and dedication. Armed with a comprehensive understanding of the disease and its causes and a commitment to sound turf management practices, we can emerge victorious over the scourge of turf disease. What do you think? Well, it's either insulting or depressing. Uh, I quite liked the Winston Churchill vibe, but I, it didn't really feel like it was written by me or it sounded like me. No, that's right, Henry. Nothing like you. Couldn't be more different. It did actually remind me of Jim. Anyway, Henry, <laughs> come on. I also asked it to write a tea-drinking anecdote for you too. Well, that's good. I've sent that over to you too. 
Come on, to save us. Yeah, come on. Okay, right. Here we go. Are you trying? To, look, are you trying to get rid of me, Glenn? Is that the point? It's just a bit of fun, Henry. Okay. Right. Okay. Here it is. Right. So this is an anecdote about a memorable cup of tea, written in the style of Henry Beshley. Mm. <clears throat> right. Let's see how this goes. As I sat sipping my tea, I couldn't help but be transported back to a small village in the heart of England. The aroma of the tea leaves filled the air, mingling with the scent of freshly baked scones and the sound of the wind rustling through the trees outside. But it was the taste of the tea that truly captivated me. It was as if each sip contained a thousand stories, each one more enchanting than the last. The flavours danced across my tongue like a well-choreographed ballet, and with each sip I felt as though I was being transported on a journey through space and time. As I savoured the last drop of my tea, I realised that it wasn't just a cup of tea. It was a moment in time and a memory that would stay with me forever. And for that, I was truly grateful. Well, that's too good, isn't it, Glenn? I really liked that. There must be a ghost in the machine. Yeah, your days are numbered, Henry. Yeah, it was a bit Alan Bennett, which is good, obviously. Um, gosh, I don't know what to think, really. Um, neither, actually. It kind of felt... I mean, I'd like to take credit for the T one, but I don't think I would have written that. Um, but look, honestly, I suppose I could say that at least I existed. And of course, this means that I am now truly immortal. Anyway, on with the whistle stop tour. Yes, best move on, Glenn. So, Henry, we're now moving into Anfracno's and Dollar Spot season. It's time to take stock and ready ourselves for the battle. Yes, because we have the significant potential for both heat stress and moisture stress in June, don't we? And of course, our own desire or the customer expectation mm. to push things harder than maybe we should. Yes, and so our strategies for the prevention of both these diseases do have some common ground because both the diseases will be looking to attack weak plants, you know, at a time of excessive leaf moisture. And so in the case of anthracnose, we'll be looking to reduce the risk of attack with considerate maintenance practice. You know, sand top dressing, reasonable cutting heights and adequate nutrition. And with Dollar Spot, generally on those wider areas, we want to be thinking about adequate soil moisture, reducing leaf moisture and regular and adequate nutrition. OK, so let's take a look at managing moisture um, and heat stress, as well as that temptation or the dangers of pushing too hard. Uh, and also we need to look at how that dollar spot pressure is beginning to ramp up now. Okay, let's do that. 
Okay, Glenn, so we're moving into June when we might experience some serious heat. Uh, it probably isn't the hottest period of the year, but there is still a likelihood for it to get stressfully warm, especially, but not exclusively, down south. And so we might be thinking of the ways in which we would want to mitigate that stress. Indeed, good watering practices are essential for managing heat stress on the golf course. Mm. And it's important to monitor those soil moisture levels regularly and adjust irrigation strategies accordingly. Overwatering can lead to shallow root systems, softer greens than desired, increase the risk of potential disease, and also encourages the surfaces to create more fats than we desire. But underwatering, of course, can cause drought stress and reduce playing qualities. Yeah, we do have to set the right balance, don't we? And so um, good wetting agent choices and programmes will play a critical role uh, when we're thinking of managing heat stress, won't they? Yes, the best way to manage canopy temperatures is to allow the plant to regulate its own temperature by ensuring it has adequate moisture to transpire properly. Once the plant loses that ability to transpire because the moisture levels are too low, then it loses the ability to regulate its temperature. I remember a particularly challenging summer with high temperatures and intense sunlight where we were using a cheaper wetting agent and it just wasn't providing the results we needed. Mm. The turf was stressed because it was dry in high heat and it couldn't cope. And then we started to compound those problems, increasing heat levels, low soil moisture, the plant was then weak and overheating, and we left ourselves wide open to stress-related diseases later in the summer. And I've seen similar things in our trial data since joining this side of the industry. The mm. best place to start with coping with those summer stresses is a good wetting agent program, monitoring those volumetric moisture contents and good solid nutrition to allow the yes. plant to function properly. Yeah, uh, a timely reminder of the importance of using premium wetting agent technologies like Colibra and TriSmart, but also, you know, monitoring those soil moisture levels. I mean, I think we all know, don't we, that sort of accurate soil moisture probes are essential tools for greenkeepers if we want to, you know, monitor soil moisture contents accurately, you know, to allow us to target or sort of manage specific moisture content levels to agronomically suit particular grass types. For fine grass dominated link situations, we might be targeting 15 to 20% volumetric moisture content. But for annual meadow grass dominated parkland greens, we might be targeting a slightly higher level of 20 to 25% BMC. Yes, premium wetting agents do provide better water distribution and retention, ensuring that the turf receives the necessary moisture to withstand that heat stress. Mm. And let's not forget, of course, the impact of UV light on turf too, especially yes. as we approach the longest day of the year. That UV light can cause significant stress on turf, leading to a weaker plant, reduced photosynthesis and increased susceptibility to diseases. Yeah, it's really, really important at this time of year. It's something that we we need to be aware of, isn't it? And um, we know that Ryder can, uh, the, the 
turf pigment rider can help protect the turf from harmful UV rays and also reduce heat stress. And so using pigments like rider and, and monitoring soil moisture levels closely, uh, greenkeepers can maintain healthier turf and mitigate uh, those stresses to help reduce the risk of conditions like dollar spot and anthracnose developing. So to summarise, maintaining good moisture levels is critical during this time of year. We should avoid overwatering or underwatering and instead focus on providing the optimal amount of water for what we are aiming for by using premium wetting agents, monitoring moisture levels with moisture meters and protecting turf from UV light. By adopting these practices, we can go a long way to protecting our turf down the line. So in terms of stress mitigation, Glenn, Syngenta have been doing lots of trials at the SCRI for the last couple of years now um, in this area. Yes, we've been examining anfracnose and the role of high cure. And we've also been looking at nitrogen and its impact on that anfracnose pressure, as well as the best fungicides in our portfolio for an anfracnose control program. Okay, so what did you find out? Well, in our trial, we found out that using high cure reduced anfracnose pressure by about 50%. And that was without using any fungicides. Yeah, high cure contains around 10% nitrogen, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And in last year's trial, we compared it to another nitrogen product, your very own Greensmaster Liquid High End. Very good. And so how did they compare? Well, interestingly, we observed an immediate early response from the Greensmaster end that we didn't see with the high cure. And this isn't a surprise as high cure is slower acting nitrogen source compared to the Greensmaster, which is urea based and readily available at this time of year. And that led to a much slower start to the anfracnose pressure in the Greensmaster end plot, with the high cure treated plots being much worse than the Greensmaster high end, uh, Greensmaster N, but still greatly reduced compared to the no added nitrogen. Oh, that's good. Um, um, yeah, and we know that delivering the right amount of nitrogen at the right time is a critical defence against anthracnose. That's right. The nitrogen-treated plots began the trial with much lower pressure than the others. And we had a solid base program going on, a base fertiliser program going on. So it wasn't like we were running them lean and we were delivering a reasonable amount of nitrogen. Clearly not enough, though, as adding that 1.2 kilograms of nitrogen, which we did in the High Cure and the Greensmaster product mm. every fortnight, was enough to significantly reduce the amount of anfracnose we saw. OK, well, that's, that shows that sort of, you know, adding quite low levels of nitrogens can still be really influential. Yes, really influential. And while the Greensmaster N programme showed early benefits, the High Cure programme did catch up later in the trial, resulting in a 50% reduction in anfracnose pressure from both of those two products. And this suggests that regular and adequate nutrition combined with High Cure in times of stress could be an effective strategy to reduce your pressure. Very good. And so what about the transition from anthracnose to uh, microdochium patch disease pressure later on? Well, we found a significant reduction in microdochium patch pressure with the high cure compared to the Greensmaster product. And we know that finding that effective end rate is important and high cure probably delivered that at a steadier rate. And the added benefits of those amino acids would have helped too during the stress periods during the summer. Mm, yeah, well, in in September, we wouldn't generally recommend the sort of Greenmaster liquid high end for obvious 
reasons. But it just it does show that sources of nitrogen are also really important at, yeah, at certain are. times of the year, as as well as the level of nitrogen. So mm. so everything needs to be taken into account. All right. So what about the fungicides? Well, the FR321 one-box solution performed incredibly well, even with a slightly curative approach. That mix of 300 grams per hectare of heritage, two litres of medallion and one litre of rider is highly effective and continues to perform well. However, it is not recommended to apply two FR321 treatments in succession. So in Ireland, we suggest using a Cernity in a tank mix with rider as a strong programme alongside FR321. And in the UK, we recommend Strata Elite with one litre of rider in that as a partner. But overall, FR321 is the best product we can find on the market for anthracnose control. Brilliant. And so what about the timings? Okay, well, it's probably not June unless we go into some serious stress. But for a fungicide application for a difficult site, we should probably be bookmarking around the 1st of July as the start for that program if we are identifying ourselves as high risk. But the high cure, we should probably be thinking about that on 14-day applications at 10 litres all the way through June if we know we are pushing the boundaries of good practice and relying on low cutting heights, lean on nutrition, or really drying things down to get the surfaces we need. If we are in that position, then we really need to consider a little bit of extra protection by adding high cure into those tank mixes. Think about using a granular, maybe late June or early July, and lean on that supporting technology like Rider to help you through those stress periods. Okay, Glenn, as you mentioned it, what about management pressure and, and the dangers of pushing too hard too soon? Yes, it's very possible. I've pushed greens too far, and I would imagine most people have got a story or a situation mm. where they've done it too. I do remember one particular one, a par-free cross-country competition that we held during Masters weekend once. We set the course up with these awesome short par-frees. I took ages designing them, ranging from 90 yards to 190 yards. And we had some really creative and interesting pin positions as well. It was great fun. Everyone gathered in the clubhouse afterwards to watch the Masters. And the whole weekend just had this fantastic vibe. Yeah, I remember this story. But you pushed things too far. Yeah, sure did. I got a little carried away, made those greens super challenging and a little bit too slick. A whole team played. So I wanted to impress oh. everyone in the clubhouse and get the lads a pat on the back and a free pint when they went in afterwards. Mm. We lowered the cutting height by probably more than we should have done. We double we rolled looking back at it I regretted it all year long I was just showing off really because I knew I'd be hanging out in the clubhouse afterwards yeah and, and that ended up causing you some problems didn't it but mainly with people's expectations yeah absolutely from an agronomic standpoint it was a terrible move the year was already tough enough to manage and later in the season I had to deal with all sorts of anthracnose challenges particularly on my sand brace greens that we had um, and so was that directly related to that day do you think you can't really tell you know I just don't know but I do know that my members always wanted those super slick surfaces from that point forward so I was kind of backed into a corner of pushing the greens harder than I should have or wanted to. 
Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Um, all right, well, what about the televised tournaments that you've worked on then? I imagine those surfaces uh, would have come from a more planned approach rather than just shaving them down. Yeah, that's right. The par three event was very much a last minute, oh, crap, what can we do tomorrow type mindset, whereas the tournaments were always planned months out. Regular top mm. dressings, optimum feed timings, careful grooming, sensible planning on aeration windows all aimed to peak at a particular time. And rarely did I get caught out on those tournaments because the expectations for those tour events were nowhere near what people think they were. You know, I was doing these in the late 90s, early 2000s, and 10 and a half foot was generally what the tour would expect at that point, which was usually fine to achieve for four or five days with sensible planning and investment. Tournaments usually came with an additional budget and a bit of preparation leeway. So much more achievable than in normal day life where we try and do that every single day with limited time and budget. And I've been caught out more often pushing for speeds when I have no money or time than I have when it was planned for. Planned approach means that you put the right products, the right fertilizer, the right dressing and the right fungicides Mm. down to ensure your safety and just kind of keeps us in that much safer middle and achievable ground, uh, much Mm. safer. If I look back, though, the one mistake I regularly made through that 2000s period in the early 2000s was wetting agents of those tournaments. Mm. The technology has moved on hugely since then. But I don't think I ever really got that one right in those days in Mm. tournament prep. Decent wetting agent would definitely be part of my preparation now. Yeah, interesting. And and it's always important to stay in control and stay focused on the, the bigger picture, I suppose, and not get caught up with the sort of trials and tribulations of the moment. You know, those smooth surfaces didn't come from just dropping the height of car and those quadruple rolls. They came from a fully integrated approach and knowing the risks and putting all the correct measures in place to be able to deliver it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Okay, Glenn, let's move our focus on to Dollar Spot and take a look at what the Smith Kearns model says about the level of risk that might occur in June for a couple of our locations. So where are we going for this, Glenn? Well, I'm going to concentrate on Anglesey and Salisbury. Okay, Salisbury, which is in the south central inland area of England and Anglesey up there, uh, over in the northwest of Wales. So what do we see? Okay, pressure is definitely ramping up in June, Henry. In May, we were seeing an average of one day above 20% on the Smith Kearns model in both Anglesey right. and Salisbury, which is lower than the sites we looked at last month. Yes. Now, when we move into June, though, that changes. Anglesey are now averaging 10 days over 20% on the Smith Kearns model and Salisbury averaging five days over that 20%. Now, Anglesey is probably higher than I thought, and Salisbury is probably lower than I thought. Yes, uh, I think I think that's, yeah, I think, yeah, I'm surprised by that. And I suppose that points to the fact that Dollar Spot doesn't just prefer higher temperatures. It's more to do with the, like, consistent temperatures or decent overnight temperatures and higher humidity. Yeah, and hence why Anglesey is higher. If you remember back to the climate data, uh, Anglesey's overnight temperature was the highest and mm. as it remains mild but not necessarily hot 
Uh, and it's just mm. got a higher chance of being humid. The the higher temperatures we experience in Salisbury aren't always a dollar spot driver. Okay, so those are the averages, which we know quite often hides the detail. Uh, so can we delve a little bit deeper into both of these, please? Yeah, of course. Salisbury, we've had four years above 10 days of over 20%. That was 2016, 17, 18 and 19. So that would have mm. felt like a pretty nasty run of it. Yeah. And Anglesey have seen six years of more than 10 days over 20%. That's 2011, 12, 14, 2016, mm. 17, and 18. But Anglesey have hit much higher figures. In 2014, they had 19 days above 20%. Wow. And 2017, they had 25 days above 20%. No so we're not yet at our peak, but we are starting to see how some years the pressure can be really ramping up by the end of June. Mm. Ready for July, which tends to be the peak month for both of these sites. Okay, so I... I presume that means that we now want to be employing as many of those cultural practices as we possibly can in June, especially for those like previously affected sites, because the pressure is building. And, you know, of course, it will be higher for some places than others. And, you know, in some years, that was really interesting, wasn't it? You know, the risk will be significantly higher than others. So we just need to keep an eye on the situation. That's right. But July can really kick and it does seem to do it fairly consistently. So the more we do now, the easier it is to survive that July period and then the back end of the season. Now is the okay. time to think about that regular nutrition. Think little and often, which isn't always easier on wider areas or even those mm. controlled release products may come into play. Yeah. Good moisture management is critical. Dollar Spot does thrive in dry soil. So utilisation of well-timed wetting agents is important. Yeah. And of course, we need to think about dew removal. Um, can we think about changing up our mowing orders so different fairways sit damp for different periods of time? Can we dew them off? Can we get a rope out to rope off fairways? I know these are labour-intensive operations, but these operations will help. And whilst it's not possible to do this year-round, if we start really studying that Smith-Kearns model, which you can Google and you can download templates to put your details in, uh, that online template is great to help you tune into those disease pressure periods that most greenkeepers can really sense and almost smell fuzz or microdochium patch developing. They know the conditions for that. But I'm not convinced we know the conditions for dollar spot anywhere near as well. And this model will help us turn those dollar spot periods and make us really aware of them and help us prevent the disease and the pressure ramping up next month. Mm, I think you're absolutely right, Glenn. Okay. For those who've been following social media, you may be aware that we're going to lose the Heritage Max formulation. So, Glenn, can you just clarify the, the reason for this and also those dates of revocation for sale and use up? Sure can. Um, well, last sales and distribution are 24th of June this year, 2023, with the disposal, storage and use-up of existing stock 
on the 24th of March 2024. Okay, so there's a bit of time there uh, to, to use it up, but there's a sort of the, the clock's ticking if you want to buy some. Yes. Okay, so, so why is Heritage Max being revoked? Well, it's not because of the active ingredient, Henry. That's the place to start. Heritage uh, or azoxystrobin has one of the safest active ingredients on our list, and that's why we are keeping Heritage water dispersible granules. The issue with Heritage Max is one of the co-formulants, which no longer meets the required specifications. Okay, so it's due to one of the constituents that go into the formulation. Exactly. If we didn't have an alternative, we would have started reformulating it a couple of years ago. But with Heritage WDG still available, it's unlikely we'd be able to beat its performance. So we're focusing on Heritage WDG, which is still a great product. Yes, it is. So we're not losing Heritage altogether and all the existing advice still stands. It just means that after March 2024, we will only have the WDG formulation available. Yes, that's right. The Heritage WDG is such a good label as well and remains a key part of our summer fungicide programme. We've got four applications permitted a year on that label with Microdokium patch, Take All, Anthracnose, Brown patch, Leaf Spot, Rust and Fairyling all on that label. It's really nice to be able to rely on our old friend Heritage. Okay, Glenn, it is now officially chafer beetle season so when do we normally see the beetles emerging okay in a normal year we'll see them start to emerge sometime around the end of april and then run through may and june occasionally into july and then they reoccur again in september normally i get a bit of a sighting and a bit of feedback but i've not heard too much about them this year Mm, might be the cold spring and um, we've also got quite a bit of variance don't we here because we're dealing with a wide range of species yes we are welsh chafers cock chafers garden chafers and summer chafers all quite easy to identify in the beetle form but not quite so easy in the larvae form You've done quite a bit on that in the past for lawn care companies, haven't you? It's not too easy, is it? No. Yeah, well, I have spent many an hour examining chafer grub rear ends under a microscope. Uh, But it's not too difficult when you get the hang of it. And the differences are very clear to see. Okay, but it is important, isn't it? As it will help us understand our strategies and what sort of levels of control we are likely to get from any Mm. products or integrated programmes. Because all of the chafer species have different life cycles, which means they are only susceptible to control methods we may have when they're in their early stages in that first year. So for some species that will reside in the soil for three years, we have to get on a program to help manage these pests. So when we talk about uh, integrated management programs, I assume we're including a celeprin in that. Well, that's part of the solution, Henry. And within the next month, we'll be giving out all the details on that. But for the UK, a celeprin, I think, is only ever going to be part of that solution. Okay, so we don't want to jump the gun, but I'm assuming we'll we'll need to think about how to use a celeprin within our wider programmes, along with our sort of other... Uh, integrated strategies to help us achieve effective control rather than just relying on a celebrant as being you know a sort of total solution indeed and as with everything it seems in this podcast we are now talking fully integrated strategies that include plant health soil moisture management nutrition 
physical management practices, chemical control, biological control, and digital help to support the application timings. This is really just a great example of how turf managers are having to embrace so many more skills in the modern day. Yeah, but it's good though, isn't it? And I think, uh, you know... I think a lot of this, you know, is common sense and we can handle these things and, and just get better results if we're sort of uh, taking a, a broader approach. Mm. All right. So let's, let's you know, let's focus uh, this month on those kind of best practices then. Look, timing is really important with these chafer grubs. Um, but we have more range with chafer grubs than we do with leather jackets as these soil pests are less mobile. I would say it's really important at this stage of the year to be monitoring and logging those chafer flights so you really understand what chafer species you have. And if you couple that up with your records where you had problems last winter, that will help you prioritise where to place your resources and your time. Yeah, we we do need to keep an eye out for beetle activity and also report them to... um onto pest tracker don't we as the sightings come in it tends to be may june and july doesn't it um, from past experience but you can also check into sean's Greencast advisory blog as well for updates on what's happening with the sort of pest tracker numbers you know it is essential to send in all your sightings because it can it can be really helpful uh, not only for other users but just for us all to get a better understanding of the dynamic and how best to approach control measures that's right all inputs into pest tracker are gratefully received they do really help guide the industry okay so apart from watching out for the beetles um, how else can we go about monitoring for chafers okay so this is more about monitoring for the beetle when it flies at this time of year so it's it's all about understanding what we're looking for and identifying that beetle there's a nice section in the syngenta turf website to support you with your identification We can also monitor those soils, but that's a bit more useful in the late winter months when we're seeing the damage. And that time of the year, we can simply pull back the turf and look for those small white grubs. And we should now be really getting into the habit of documenting where we see that damage to help guide our applications later in the year. Yeah, and of course, monitoring is really important because chafers do tend to infest the same or similar areas each year. Yes, and more news next month on that Acelaprin label. Okay, Glenn. So tell us, what's the application tip of the month? Well, today I want to have a little chat about the importance of involving new or less experienced staff members in your spray operations. Ah, now is this on the back of... It's coming back to me now on one of our chats that we had with Des and the uh, NVQ crew down at Ransoms. Yes, I asked the whole group who was involved with spraying. And nobody put their hand up. Very few had even sat on a sprayer. No one had even read a label. Now, these guys are going to be doing their PA1s, PA2s and PA6s soon. And they've never looked at this stuff. Yeah. There, there are so many fantastic opportunities to pass on valuable knowledge and skills that can benefit yeah. both the team and the golf course. So this month, I thought I'd dive in and see if we can find some ideas of how we can make this happen. Good idea, Glenn. Okay. Firstly, it's essential to help newcomers and early career greenkeepers understand what goes into the spray tank. Encourage them to ask questions and explain the different products, their functions and the importance of proper mixing. Remember, we were all beginners once and we all needed that one person to come up to us and say, come on over, come and have a look at this. 
That's the foundation of knowledge. That's the beginning. That's when that interest is sparked. And, and a spark of interest can set someone up for success in the long run. Yeah, that is so important, isn't it? It is. Now, next, get them involved in maintaining your spray records. Make them do your paperwork. This is a crucial task, and it not only helps with the compliance, but also provides insights for them into how different treatments will affect mm. turf health. It is a perfect opportunity for less experienced staff to learn about the impact of their work. Yes. Now, let's get them involved and hands-on. Now, get those early phase greenkeepers to sit on and assist you during spray operations. This experience will help build their confidence and their understanding of the sprayer. You can train them to spot issues like block nozzles and encourage them to take the initiative in resolving these problems. This will also help them keep an eye on your sprayer when you're actually out spraying by yourself. The more eyes you've got on those back nozzles, the more chance we have of keeping those greens streak free. Yeah. Now, lastly, let them have a go at spraying non-legislated products that don't require a spraying certificate. That experience will give them a sense of responsibility and help them become more comfortable with the equipment by fostering a supportive and educational environment. That's how we help to grow new staff members and we help turn them into skilled spray operators. This investment in their development not only strengthens the team, but also engages those future generations. You know, this is so important, Glenn. But now, Henry, most people are so keen to do this when you talk to them. Yeah. And they're probably all shouting at me right now saying, we do try, Glenn, honest. But ask yourself, honestly, if you're listening to this, have you actually done it? Because a quick mm. straw poll when we went and had a group of young greenkeepers in the room tells me most of the industry isn't doing mm. it. Now, if you're on the other side of that and you're an up-and-coming greenkeeper and you're listening to this and thinking, yeah, they never asked me to sit on a sprayer, mm. you need to ask yourself as well, have you ever shown an interest or have you ever actually asked them, can you get involved? Yeah, very good indeed, Glenn. It's so important, Henry. So that's it for another month, Glenn. Not quite, Henry. we still got some other business. Oh, go on then. Well, firstly, and it's the reason we're a bit late this month, we yeah. need to scrutinise your Eurovision <laughs> predictions. How was it, by the way? Oh, well, it was the best time ever, Glenn. Thanks for asking. For both me and Charles, and it is something that we will never forget. Not great for the UK or Ireland, though. No, as predicted, Glenn. Yes, and Croatia was indeed truly bonkers. Yes, they were. But in terms of your specific predictions, let's have yes. a little look. Charles said Sweden. First. Finland. Second. Norway. Fifth. Austria. Fifteenth, but that was a massive fan favourite. And France. Which came in 16th, which was an absolute travesty in my eyes. Very good, Charles. Yes, yes, he did do well very done, well there. I hope some of you put some money on that. Um, look, you had some outsiders as well, didn't you? So one of yeah. yours was Denmark. <laughs> well, they didn't qualify for the final, Glenn. Serbia. Oh, well, they did qualify for the final, but they came in at 24th. Estonia? Well, this was my... I mean, remember, they were outsiders. You know, Charles had taken the favourites. But they came in eighth, which okay. was really good. Yeah. So so at least Charles seems to know his stuff. He does indeed. And on that note, I've got some other news. Uh, I've got the results of our Spotify award poll. Oh, you know, that was a bit desperate, Glenn, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. 
but it doesn't matter, does it? So the in answer to the question, what is the best turf podcast presented by Glenn and Henry, we've got some news. Have all the votes been checked and verified, Glenn? They have. And was it just Charles, Glenn? No. Charles and three other voters. Okay, very impressive. So are we good to go, Glenn? We are. And so. I am pleased to announce that we are indeed officially the best turf podcast presented by Glenn and Henry. Wow! Fantastic, Glenn. I can't believe it. Oh, we did it, Henry. (laughs) We did, Glenn. According to Charles and three other nutters, this is a massive endorsement. And on that bombshell, I think it's time to say thanks for listening to our award-winning podcast. Oh, unbelievable. Yes, thank you, everyone. You know, I don't think I can say anymore. I'm just too emotional. I really am. This is amazing. And um, we'll see you all next month. Yes, yes, yes. Take care, everyone. You know... Together, we are unstoppable. Oh, hold up, Henry. I've I've been waiting for this moment for years. I've prepared a speech. Oh, go for it, Glenn. This is brilliant. I thank you so much for this This Best Agronomic Podcast Award. I I never thought that talking about turf management techniques could lead to such recognition. Is this chat GPT? First, I need to thank my co-host and my partner in podcasting crime, Henry. None of this could have happened without your witty humour and your ability to make complicated agronomic concepts easy to understand. Oh, my pleasure, Glenn. I want to thank all of our loyal listeners out there. Matt, Yeston, Mm. Pledge, Phil, Mm. Keith, Des, Gordon, Charles, and all the rest that continue to support us and leave such kind reviews. Your positive feedback keeps us going each week. Yes. Do we get any feedback? Shall we? Thank you to all yes. the experts out there who've taken oh, time to be guests on our show. Phil, yes. Tom, and the people yes. behind the scenes, those who shared yes. their knowledge and insights yes. to make our content even better. Yes, thank you all. We, c- we couldn't have done it without you. And look to all the turf managers out there who work tirelessly yes. to create smooth surfaces that keep yes. golfers happy. We created this happy. podcast to hopefully provide you hopefully. with some small help along your journey. This yeah. award is as much yours as it is ours. Yes, Look, and finally, yes, and yes. finally, I need to thank my amazing parents who've supported yes. me through my so many parents. random endeavours on life, even something as niche as an agronomy podcast. And thank podcast. you to my wife who still listens wife. to every single episode, well, even yes. the really boring ones about pesticide resistance are still claims yes. to enjoy them. Boring Angela, ones. you are my rock. So yes. once again, to all four voters out there, Thank you so much for this incredible yes. honour. This is a wonderful incredible. validation that agronomy truly is the most interesting science in the world. Well, well said, Glenn. You know, well, I'd like to say a few words too. And I'd firstly like to start by thanking the midwife who helped deliver me all those years ago.